want to uh, take a look at a couple of passages this evening to kind of prime the pump a little bit, and I want to lead into some more discussion uh, somewhat along the lines that we had last week. Last week we looked at those enemies of our peace that creep in because they rob us of trusting in God. When we looked at peace being reliant upon us trusting more and more in God, uh, what are those things that, that prevent that and that the world comes in and robs us of that and says, oh no, he won't take care of this, he won't take care of that, and robs us of the peace that comes with that. And so when they come in and insert their ideas that are in conflict with the principles, the truths, the, the flat-out declarations of God and his word, um, they can rob you of peace. And so we looked at some of the origins of those last week uh, and realized that they inundate us all around us um, through the media, through the school, through um, popular uh, ideas, through science, through all these venues by which they contradict God's word and bring conflict. Now you have to decide, am I going to listen to the world Am I going to listen to the scriptures? And when, as soon as that conflict becomes real in your life, because you haven't really settled the scriptures, that's going to rob you of peace, because now you're going to doubt, and there's nothing more that Satan wants to do than introduce doubt in your life over God's existence, God's work, God's person, the scriptures, his truth. Uh, if he can introduce doubt, he has debilitated you as an agent of God in this world. And so he does whatever he can to do that. And uh, I would prefer to have you doubt everything else. The Bible says, let all men be called a liar and God true. God true and all men liars. So uh, if there's any balance there, make sure you had your imbalance towards all men being liars instead of God being a liar. But the world doesn't want that. They want to load up a preponderance of evidence, it would appear, or opinion, really, is what it becomes, uh, to contradict God's word. And they want to do it with such boldness and such uh, confidence that they want you to make you look like, why would you believe anything else? And they'll laugh at anyone that believes in the fairy tales of the Bible. But the Bible is very clear uh, that God's word is true. And there is not a preponderance of evidence against it. In fact, in every place it has been uh, seriously tested, it has come out as the truth. And uh, that bothers a lot of people. But what you will not find in most circles um, is that anyone knows that. Because they haven't studied far enough. To, they just heard and we all know that hearsay and what you uh, common knowledge, I love that term, common knowledge uh, is always true, right? That's, that's the vein by which you get the facts of life is through common knowledge, but in fact it is not. So that was last week. We looked at those things that creep in that rob us of our trusting God and therefore rob us of our peace if we allow them a authority. And we don't want to give them authority. So tonight we want to look at that which uh, seeks to rob us of God's love. And this is in very much the opposite end of the spectrum. 
The end of the spectrum that we talked about last week was all these external influences coming in, robbing you of trusting in God, bringing that conflict where God says, no, there's peace. So let's turn, if you will, to the book of Romans. Let's start there. That's probably the best place for us tonight. And there we're going to talk about some of these other things that do, in fact, um, seek to extract our peace or our, the love of God from us. In Romans chapter 8, we've been here several times, and there's a reason we keep coming back to Romans chapter 8. Um, it has a lot of the principles of these six words that we have investigated, and uh, it is a very full chapter in that respect. We're going to the end of the chapter at this point, and uh, we want to look at that again. Uh, we want to, uh, let's pick up in verse 31, we'll read through the end of the chapter. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also free us, freely give us all things? And that goes along this morning. God's love is such a nature that first he sent his only son to deliver us, then he wants to freely give us all things. So his blessing in your life, his love of your life, isn't past tense only. Yes, he did love you in the past. He loves you presently, and he desires to love you in the future. And so he not only wants to save your soul from sin, which he did back when you trusted in him, and really accomplished when Christ died for you, but he wants to continue to bless you, it says, in all things, freely giving us all things. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Point blank question. Who or what will separate us from the love of Christ? And that's what we want to delve into tonight. And very different than our peace of God and what separates us or inhibits our peace with God, we're going to find that almost no externals can separate you from the love of Christ. So here's the list. <clears throat> Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And the answer is really none of these. None of these external things can separate you from the love of Christ. In that sense, the love of Christ is more durable. That doesn't mean that it is not ever endangered in your life, as we're going to see. But let's press on. As is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter, yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So the expectation of Paul for the believer is that you are going to conquer these things. First of all, you have to expect these things to conquer them. All right? um, you will never defeat an enemy that you have not identified. If you have any, any training or any exposure at all to military <laughs> strategy, if you don't know where the enemy is or who the enemy is, you are in deep doo-doo. Okay? They will destroy you. But God says, no, I expect you to be more than conquerors. Well, the only way you're going to conquer these things is to have a knowledge of them. So Paul says, no, these things are going to happen. You are going to have tribulation, persecution, distress, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Those things are going to happen. They will not separate you from the love of Christ. They will not destroy that. 
you have all the armor, all the weaponry to become a conqueror in that battle. That's out there. Be ready for it. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, we're going to go on to our list, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We read through this passage when we were dealing with Christ preserving us, and now as we look at the love of Christ, and we want to connect that, that here the Bible says none of these things can separate you from the love of Christ. Once you've embraced the love of Christ, there is no external influence that can really drive a wedge in there. You are at peace with God. That means that you have a relationship with God because of the love of Christ, and there is nothing that can diminish that. Christ's love overwhelms it all. His love is that which um, puts all of these opposing factors um, and just weakens them, just destroys them. They cannot stand. They will not come in and separate you from the love of Christ. The love of Christ endures. It is sure. It is faithful. And so it is something you can have highest confidence in. That Christ's love for you will not diminish. It is sure. And all of these troublesome things that come into life, uh, and including life itself and death and all these things, even spiritual agents of the evil one, the powers that be, and any other created thing can't do that. Uh, they are not going to diminish Christ's love for you. And this we saw a little bit in Deuteronomy 7, right, where Christ said, or God promised Israel, uh, when you go into the land and you have enemies, you're not going to get any of their diseases. Um, and in fact, I'm going to have them just fall before you. They're, you can't fear their sword uh, because nothing that they do can diminish my desire to bless you. So the blessings of God cannot be diminished against you, for you. They cannot be diminished toward you because of these external things. So the world can rage all at once, and the Bible says God laughs at them. <laughs> okay? They cannot diminish his love for you. They will not interfere in that, that commitment that God has for your well-being. Remember, this chapter is where the verse is that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So the love of God is going to work to your advantage, to your benefit, um, regardless of what opposition you face from the world. Peace of God is a little bit different because those influences inundate us and they bring that doubt and that confusion and that conflict internally and we begin to listen more and more to them. and listen. But with the love of Christ, it's not that way. It endures. It, it, nothing can separate you from it. God's love is always there. And I know we use those terminologies, and I hate to, um, because we use them in relationships between people. Oh, I'm going to love you forever, um, things like that. Uh, that aren't necessarily always very accurate. They're nice ideas, but they're not, in my experience, not lived out very well. Let's put it like that, okay? Um, they say they'll love you forever, and then 
They don't. Okay? And uh, I don't love you anymore. Well, what happened? Between I love you forever and now I don't love you anymore. So men are fickle. Mankind's fickle. Uh, not to be trusted. But when God says, I will love you forever, nothing will interfere with that. We can have every confidence in that. So if nothing can stop that, then we are secure. And um, we don't have to fret about it, worry about it at all. There's a total peace over that aspect of it. And uh, so why do we need to respond to God's love? Because the danger point isn't from externals. The danger point in the relation between you and the love of God is internal. Remember, the threat to your peace of God in your life was from all these external things you were allowing to come in, filling your mind with that which you should have known wasn't true. Generally speaking, the believer doesn't generate those things in himself, although he can. But usually they're from external influences. But in this case, it's quite the opposite. It is really the, the more external opposition we have, the more opportunity we see God at work and to trust in him and experience his love. How does God treat those under persecution? When the righteous are under attack, is God there? Well, he's promised to be. And you look at the Psalms and David says, all these people are attacking me. And uh, I often, if you look at those Psalms, all the Psalms were got where David starts off saying, Lord, they're all after me. And then you read the last few verses of the Psalm. What do they always say? Oh, the Lord is faithful and he's good to me. <laughs> he loves me and I, I have confidence in that. Well, what happened in the middle of the song? Well, he cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard him. How often do you see that in the scriptures, Israel cried out to God because they were, during the judges, they were being uh, maltreated by their overlords God raised up. Um, they cried out to the Lord, the Lord heard them because the Lord's love is immovable. It is always dependable. So in the equation of us experiencing the blessings of God's love, What's the problem? Because the more opposition we encounter, the more God works to sustain us and the stronger we should be. We should be more than conquerors. And that Greek word is huper, which is hyper. Um, we're hyper conquerors. Um, we're not just barely meet it, meet it, making it. We are super hyper conquerors. Uh, we can't help but do it. We can't help but overrun these things. And the history of the church uh, the church has always grown and blossomed and, and just exploded whenever it encountered tribulations, trials, persecutions, oppositions, and uh, because we were more than conquerors. We were hyper-conquerors. We just said, that doesn't do anything to us. God's for us. What are you doing? And that's why the attacks on our peace are so subtle. They are not outright Attacks. If we identified them as outright attacks, we would be able to handle them in this fashion. But these are outright attacks. Here's all these people coming against you. Well, God is for me. And I can take this strong stand. And that's why open opposition is much easier to endure than the subtle attacks. And that's why I think Satan is so effective in this country and in the whole Western mindset. And now it is across the whole earth. Of, of subtly destroying the whole concept of God and trusting in him. So that's not where our 
problem is. So where is it? If it's internally, where is it? What is the problem? Let's look at Revelation. I, I was tempted to go to 1 John again, but I'm going to spend a lot of time there next Sunday. So let's just go to Revelation. And we're going to look at the church of Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, the Bible says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. All of that is from external. They have fought the fight. They are engaged in the spiritual battle and they are winning it. You have, this is your history. In open warfare, you were courageous because you understood you are more than conquerors through him who loved you. And then verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. What? this glowing report of verses 2 and 3, and you say, these people have persevered, these people have patience, these people have, have, are standing, they're against false teachers, they're against false teaching, they are, they are winning against all of these opposing external attacks, they are winning. But Christ comes and says, well, you've left your first love. And that's something I have against you. And the question is, how did that happen? How did that happen? And I think it goes back to Hebrews, where it talks about drifting away. What does it take to fall out of love with someone? It's pretty simple. It's an easy thing for humans to do, to fall out of love. Remember how much work it was to fall in love, or to get that other person to love you? Okay, that's the whole courtship challenge, right? How do I get this person to fall in love with me? I'm so attracted to them. I might not love them yet, but I think I might be able to, and I want them. And we have all this work to develop this relationship. Then we have, I wish I could say, we, we have the marriage bond that establishes it, but usually it's just, okay, we have it moving in with us, or we had a baby together. Um, that seems to be the way of the world these days. But let's just stick to the righteous position and say we are, we're married. Well, why five, ten years later do you say, oh, I don't love you anymore? Ah, no effort. You've left your first love. How? Because you stopped investing in it. When does God stop investing in his children? Never. Because his love endures. So when we read about the Ephesians leaving their first love, their love of God, that was evident in their love for the believers. We find that in Ephesians 1. Paul talks about their love for the saints. And, of course, 1 John tells us that if you love God, you're going to love one another. So how do they leave it? Well, you stop investing in it. They are so busy fighting out there, they weren't paying attention to in here. And yes, that is a very real possibility in the Christian life 
to be so invested in opposing the world, you forget to take the time to build and develop your love relationship with God, that intimacy that we talked about that God desires so much. It is how we keep that first love. And so it's easy to think that because we're succeeding in this area, that this area will never happen to you. But the fact is we have a history of, in, even in my lifetime, the history of churches who were well-known for their fight against apostasy, against uh, some huge fights historically that you benefit from in the Baptist movement, but there were real jeopardy back then. There were real fights about the inerrancy of Scripture. Is Scripture authoritative and without error, isn't it? And they fought those fights. I mean, people were kicked out of churches, and they were, they, we lost churches, and churches went over into liberalism. All that was really did happen. You might say, how does a church who fought like that then become loveless for God? Well, you stop working at it. That's all it takes. Stop working at loving that person. Well, God is the same way. You stop working at loving him, you will leave that. And so this is the real danger. This is the danger point, I think, for us in terms of the love of God. If God's love endures. It is unconditional. It is there. The blessings of it, receiving the blessings of that, are conditioned upon us to love God and keep his commandments. And so when First John comes out, love God, keep his commandments. When Jesus says, love me and keep his, my commandments, um, he means that. Love him and keep his commandments. And we tend to reverse that. Well, I'm keeping his commandments. Well, I don't know if I love him. Well, I love him, I guess. You know, well, you know, invest yourself in loving God. Do what is necessary. Well, how do you invest in loving people? Time. You're going to take time with them. You're going to expend energy on their behalf, toward them. You're going to want intimacy with them. You're going to want all these things. This is how you invest. And that is by word, by actions, by attitude. All of these things are means by which you strengthen your love relationship. And when you go to the Bible and it says, you know, don't you speak a word against your husband. Even if he's not obeying the truth, you do not criticize him. That's how you strengthen your love relationship with him. And you must be very careful what you say about God. How do you talk about God? How do you use his name? Why do you think among the Ten Commandments is don't take his name in vain? Why is that so important? Because in a love relationship, you better use your speech to develop a, a relationship with God that doesn't disrespect him and doesn't destroy your relationship. That is not critical. And it goes right down the list. When you look at the commandments of, of serving and, obe and obeying, it's all about, in terms of, the, of keeping the Sabbath day and all those things, it's about investing yourself in your relationship with God. The, the Ephesian church has stopped doing that, and it says that they left their first love. They had that passion for God, at the front end of their relationship, they were invested in fighting against false teaching, false teachers, and it's rehearsed for them here. They lived out righteousness to the point that they had all the opposition that we talked about. 
they were more than conquerors in that. They persevered. They had patience. Uh, they did not become weary in it. They were strengthened. They endured. They were strong. This is a powerhouse church. But they had become no longer intimate with God. That wasn't a priority anymore. It was about winning the battles, not about pleasing the Father. And having this intimate interchange with God. So what do you do? It says, verse 5, Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent, do the first works, or else I'll come to you quickly, remove your candlestick, from its lampstand from your place, unless you repent. This is something that must be repented of. Which means it is a sin you have done. It's not an influence that came in. It is something you simply allowed to slide. You simply allowed it to deteriorate. And when I deal with, with married couples who are coming to me and they're breaking up or whatever, or they're fighting and they're talking divorce and things like that, uh, inevitably what you'll find is that one or both of them just stopped working at their relationship. They just stopped. It just, other things became a higher priority. Work became a bigger priority than my wife. These other things. Children became a higher priority than my husband. Can't tell you how many times that's happened. It's like if you put as much energy into your husband as you put into these children, you would not have a problem. But we simply allow other things to captivate us instead of how can I build my love relationship with God. We allow other things to captivate. And these other things from all outside, I mean, God commends them for these other things. You don't stop these other things. You simply prioritize them properly. You put them and you say, well, this isn't our highest passion. This isn't our highest goal. This isn't our fullest aspiration. But we want to have this love relationship with God first and foremost. Then we'll do these other things. We'll still do these other things. It's not that these other things are bad. It's when they become more important to you than this love relationship with God. And that is about prioritizing. That is your fault. That is about you mixing things up. And, and, it, and again, God didn't leave. You left. You detached yourself. You unplugged. You just kind of took that for granted, the love of God, and it's easy to do, right? Because nothing can separate you from the love of God. So I can take that for granted. Well, that's kind of what happens in marriages and other relationships within the church, within families. You start taking that person for granted. Well, I don't have to do this work. They have to love me because they're married to me. Well, no, they don't. And your love will grow cold. And when the Bible talks about that, the love of many will grow cold. The Bible says, when? When will the love of many grow cold in Scripture? You know that passage? It's describing the end times. The love of many will grow cold. How does love grow cold? You stop investing in it. It stops being the highest priority. All these other things that, again, are... Probably good things. It is a good thing that men go to work, earn a living, feed their families. That's good. 
Bible says if you don't work, not should you eat. That is one of your responsibilities, to work enough to earn a living and have enough to share. That is to give to others. And so I'm not going to tell you, don't go to work. I never tell a married man quit his job to save his marriage. I've never counseled that. I have told him, why is work so important to you and your marriage not? And challenge his priorities. Why is making a little bit more money more important than this? Why are your children more important than your husband? Now, is it good that your children are important to you? Yes. But not more important than this other one. And the same thing in relation with God. God needs to be of highest. Now, is your family important? Yes, your family is important. But they cannot be more important in your life than your relationship with God. That's why Jesus says, if you love your family more than you love me, you are not worthy of me. And here, the Ephesians were about to experience a discipline by God because they had sinned against God by doing all these things that he likes, but they weren't investing in their love with him, for him. And so the love of God endures. So the problem isn't when, when we're attacked by the world, for our faith, that usually draws us and it just knits us into the love of God much more strongly. But it is possible, even in those conditions, to fight that fight for the faith and simply not develop a love relationship with God. That we're not intimate with Him and His Word, we're not communing with His walking in His Spirit, that we're not in prayer, that we're not invested in these things that we aren't conversing about it. Uh, my wife is gone, and I don't like it. Not because she feeds me and does my laundry and puts me in bed, but she doesn't do all those things for me. I, I am capable of taking care of myself. I can cook. Um, I don't know how to do laundry, but um, I know how to buy new clothes, so... <laughs> I know where Thrift Town is. And so uh, I'm a pretty self-sufficient guy. So why do I miss her? Because every day I have grown accustomed to investing in my relationship with my wife. And that's what I miss. And as good as Skype is, it cannot be, it, can't, it is not a replacement for that. of daily investing in my relationship with my wife. And yes, sometimes my kids walk around and say, oh, you guys, what is wrong with you two? There's nothing wrong with us. We are deeply and desperately in love. Yes, after 30-some years, absolutely. And so we don't like, and oh, that we would have that kind of attitude towards God. How can I go days without talking to him? Without spending time with him? Without meditating on him? How does that happen? It happens by neglect, and that's your fault. You can't blame your work. We all have work. You can't blame the kids. We have kids. You can't blame the ministry. I've had pastors who have marital problems blame the ministry. Oh, the ministry just consumed all my time and energy. I didn't have anything for my wife and kids. I was like, Pfft. that's not true. These are your choices that are being revealed, that you chose not to invest yourself. You chose not to make that a priority. 
You chose to make this more important than your relationship with God. And that's why when we talk about if, how to keep your love alive, um, we put these things on, go back to what you were doing when you were courting. Go back to that stuff. And so what does it describe here? Your first love, when it was fresh, when it was new, when you didn't care how much it cost you to get that girl, to get that guy. Do you remember those days when it didn't matter what it cost, you would expend everything you could? I've done it a few times, okay? Not a few women. One woman, a few times, okay? I remember plopping down every penny I had to buy an engagement ring. Every single penny I had. I had zero money. As a college student one summer, I mean, I, I did the plasma thing, and I, was, I, I saved every penny. I worked hard to buy an engagement ring. I didn't care how much it cost me. This girl needed to be mine, and I needed to get this, and I was going to show Oh, that we would have that kind of attitude towards God. It doesn't matter what it costs me. I cannot not have this intimacy with him. And so first thing in the morning, last thing at night. I mean, that's how I keep intimacy with my wife. She will not get up and leave for work without waking me up. And I'm not really awake. I'm kind of, as she's going off in the dark to work, um, and she's not really awake when I come to bed, hardly, but um, that we communicate. Love you. You're precious, dear to me. You're a high priority. And so it is with the Lord. Are you spending that time? So when you talk about the love of God, please recognize the externals will usually keep you near to him. And maybe that's why God brings them into your life. Not only to chasten you, but to just, she's just too used to my voice is the problem. She doesn't, it's her, it doesn't mean anything. You think I'm talking to you, don't you? It is easy to leave it by simply neglecting it and making these other things supplant the time you should be spending with God every day. Get your Bible out. Get your prayer time out. Make it a daily habit, more than once a day for three minutes. Uh, and that's why it says pray without ceasing. You should have that attitude all day long. Everything you encounter should be going before the throne of grace as you encounter it. And yes, that can be as mundane as, you know, why did I cut this board too short to something as significant as, oh Lord, help my kid go through this hard period or this antagonism. But we give everything to the Lord. That's how you invest. He wants that intimacy. So the love of God is true, endures. It is your love that is suspect because you are human. You are fickle. And so it takes constant energy and when you lapse, it is sin that needs to be repented of. The Ephesians need to repent of this. You got your priorities screwed up, 
and you made these things more important than God. And it's not that those things are bad, it's just that they belong in their place, and this place is reserved for God in your life. Keep your first love, that, that original passion that says, at all costs, I have to have this relationship. So I want to have a little discussion tonight. I went a lot longer than I intended to do. Okay. How do you recognize it among each other that you lose your first love? Because Paul recognized, not Paul, John recognized it. God recognized this and attacked the Ephesians. So if you're not seeing it by their exterior works, because they were doing it. You and I would look at Ephesus and say, this is a great church. So how do you see a lost first love whether it's in a church or in an individual, what do we see? What's, the, what's some of the markers? Maybe some of your markers. And a lot of you are young and don't have a lot of experience, but what are the markers of it that we encounter? All right, meeting with your brothers becomes less important, right? It's not a priority, and you don't miss church when you do miss church. When you physically miss it, you don't, Mentally, spiritually, uh, in your affections, miss it at all. Oh, I missed it. Oh, well. It's not a big deal. Good. What else? Okay. Um, there's a little song that says, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. Um, song is one of the most powerful ways that we communicate praise to him. Study of God's word. If it's not important to you, it's going to be snooze time. It's going to be distracted time. Walking out of the building five times during one service. I'm going to ask Ben. Is a worship service a, a time of worship for you? Or is it just something you're enduring? Where's your love? Okay, good. What else? There's no joy in... In anything spiritual. And that, I think, is one of the evidences here. Um, there's just no joy. You're doing all the right things, but like Paul says in Philippians, they do it for all the wrong reasons. So I guess it's good they're doing it, but they should be doing it for the right reasons. And there's no joy in doing it like that. Okay, what else? I didn't quite hear the first front end of that, David. Okay. Yeah. Um, the people that come in and sit down almost dare you to come talk to them. Almost dare God to, you know, okay, let's see if anything can happen today that'll prick my ears. And I, I know some people walk in like that. Okay, let's see if you got anything to tell me today. Well, even a bad preacher you can learn from something if you have the right spirit and attitude coming in that you want to learn something about God. Yes? Would you be concerned if I just stopped referencing my wife altogether? 
<laughs> for many weeks in my book for you. And that's probably the problem is that this stuff is weeks and weeks and weeks before we go, oh, something's not right there. Um, why are you uncomfortable talking about God in normal life? Unless you're uncomfortable with God. And if you're uncomfortable with God, that means you don't have that intimacy. And that's not God's fault. Because his love never fails. What else? Ah, discontentment. There's nothing that can replace your relationship with God in your life. Nothing. So you're going to be dissatisfied no matter if you acquire all your professional goals at work. It will not... You better get rid of that kid. You're not doing it. You're not cutting it there, girl. Okay, good. Nothing can replace that peace, that substance in your life of relationship with God. Intimate relationship with God. Nothing can replace it. So there's going to be a hollow place in your life. And you think, oh, I'm going to pursue it this way, that way, this way, that way. No, none of those will. Okay, so discontentment. What else? Yep, now you're getting, yeah, you have, uh, because you're not spending time in God's word and you're not valuing it, suddenly you're not referencing it. You're not going to the Bible to find out what the Bible says. You're just kind of out there doing it on your own, and usually that's when the other influences are going to start taking higher priority. Um, yeah, but the Bible says. And, and that can happen even in Christian environments. There are some unbiblical things that are spoken in Christian circles. And I remember our last trip to Israel, the tour guy was like, um, Jews need to repent, uh, Gentiles need to convert. And he looked right at me and said, isn't that right, Pastor? Because I was the only pastor in the tour group. And I was like, no, that is not correct. God calls all men everywhere to repentance. And I quoted scripture. And he didn't call me the rest of the trip. <laughs> no, I can't agree with you. Okay, you developed this two ways to God, one for Jews and one for Gentiles because you're a Jew. And Galatians is very clear that there is no distinction in God's working among men. So, yes? All right. I was hoping you get to that. Um, once you lose your first love and intimacy with God, um, what happens in that vacuum? Now you're starting to move and become susceptible. You become a target for the evil one. Because that lack of passion for God is going to be a tool by which temptation can come into your life. And it's not just to become, not become passionate about other things, but to even have sin be introduced in your life. Um, when we talk about being discontent, uh, one of the things you're going to start pursuing is sinful models to um, captivate your time and attention. And some of that is just trying to deal with guilt. 
And yes, guilt, by the way, you know you're not really where you should be with God. But sin, Satan uses that as an entry point for temptation to draw you to sin. Yes? What about like not being as interested as you were when you first became a Christian? You know you want to tell everybody the good news and you want to read as much as you can and pray as much as you can, but then after a while, all of that... Okay, I'm going to tear that into two separate ones. Um, you become disinterested in evangelism. You really do. And I think that's one of the one of the indictments against Calvinists and the Calvinistic model um, is where is your any reason to have evangelism uh, in your ideology that is not a loving ideology at all. Um, but I'm also, you're going to lose interest in evangelism. It's just not your heart anymore. It's not a priority. If you're not close to God, you're not interested in getting others close to God. Okay? We do not send people to God. We invite them to God because we're with him. Does that make sense? We don't write out directions for someone how to get to God while we're not near him. Uh, rather, we are near God and we call them to him. That's why it says we're a light in a dark place. They come to us and they find out, oh, he's a reflector of this light, the light of Jesus Christ. So evangelism. Um, The second facet is the whole idea of we get an attitude, we have nothing more to learn. I know enough and, uh, you know, I don't, um, we stop hungering and thirsting for the truth. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, enthrall us. It doesn't uh, captivate us. What can I learn? What can I learn about God today? What can I learn? There's more to learn. And we get to thinking we know everything there is to know, and then we get dulled in our love for God. Oh, you're on that track. So you can see that the evidence is there. I just want you to know that you cannot blame exterior things for any of that. That is all you. So, to re- renew your love for God, do what God tells the Ephesians to do. You have to, re- you have to repent. Don't displace blame. Don't sit there and say, oh, this, 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 this. The love of many grew cold because they chose to. It's not the external forces that are doing that. It is internal prioritization, internal commitment, internal desire. And you have control over those things. So you need to repent and go back and have your first love again. Derive your passion. And if you want to know how do I get that passion back, passion isn't a feeling, it is a drive. And so um, I have lots of passions in my life that sometimes I feel about them. Sometimes I don't feel about them, but they're still very, I still have a strong passion for those. Um, Though my interest may seem to be up and down, I still overall want to get these things accomplished in my life um, or in others. And so how do you get that passion back? Well, how do you get a passion back for someone else? You go back and do what you're doing at the beginning. I want to find out who this God person is and what this is all about. 
I want to draw near to God. What does God say? You draw near to me. He's ready and willing to draw near to you. So we have a little song. I don't know if you know it. Draw near unto me. And he says, if you do, he's ready and willing to draw near to you. You don't know, know that little ditty chorus? Oh, that's so sad. It's not in our book, so you can't sing it out of there. So that's right out of a scripture song. So you do what you need to do to draw near. Um, you guys ever watch the uh, movie um, Fireproof? You guys all watch the movie Fireproof? That's all about how do you fall back in love? Well, you do all these things that people in love do. <laughs> and that's how you fall in love with someone. It's not an attraction issue. It's a I choose issue. I choose to love this person, so I'm going to do the things people in love do. So I'm going to speak kindly to you. I'm going to give you gifts. I'm going to do acts of service towards you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to care about you. I'm going to do all these things because that's how you fall in love. We make too much out of physical attraction and chemistry. There's no chemistry, okay? I'm sorry. There, if you're waiting for chemistry to happen and, and fireworks and stuff, um, that's fantasy. That is movie land, okay? The reality is, is that genuine, lasting, loving relationships um, are doing those things that people in love do. You do them, and you do them, and you do them, and pretty soon, it's amazing, it's an effect upon you and upon the other person. And that's what Fireproof explores. You can't say you fell out of love. What you did was you got lazy. You fell out of being loving. So if you want to fall back in love, go back to doing the things that people in love do. Period. Okay. Well, that's our prayer. Good. Thank you. Good investigation. Good development. I'm glad to see you putting stuff to practice that you can connect A to B. Here's the truth. How does it look, what does it look like? So that's good. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. And we thank you for your love for us that endures, that uh, something we can stake our lives to and overcome any opposition that is out there. And Lord, we want to do that. But we also want to stay intimate with you. And we know that we are fickle, we are man, we are giddy, and we come and go. And so, Lord, uh, be patient with us and work in us to keep us near to you. And, Lord, we know that we have an important place there, and, and we want to surrender our will to yours. And, Lord, help us this week that if we are in that condition, that we would take the extra time and effort to revisit our first passion for you, that it might become a lifelong passion in us. We praise this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.